Today's scripture reading is from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you, kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks, Nikki, for reading the scriptures. Um, good to see that everyone made it out here. Uh, especially on a gloomy day like today, but nevertheless, um, God deserves to be worshipped. Um, Last week we began um, a, this mini-series talking about what it means to be happy, what it means to be content, what it means to be satisfied, and we're looking at this passage to kind of see where Paul finds his contentment. Um, and as you understand where Paul comes from, you kind of realize that his idea of contentment and happiness is sometimes it's hard to grasp because it seems somewhat foreign and far away from us, but I think uh, if, if you're a Christian today or if you're not a Christian, this is the one thing to think about. Um, last week, we looked at contentment, and one of the reasons that we find Paul being content in his situation was because he believed in this, what we call a providence of God. That in every circumstance and situation, he believed that God was working, not just in miraculous ways, but also in the very ordinary, mundane, everyday sort of ways. And so he trusts in God to provide. And that's a, one of the aspects of his contentment. Today, we'll look at a, another aspect of his contentment, and it's kind of... Um, basic to understand, but what we see in Paul is this. Paul's contentment is not circumstantial, okay? That's another key to the secret of his contentment. Did you know if you look up any study or survey uh, done here in America about happiness and you ask the question, are you happy today? Um, most, most surveys, believe it or not, uh, show that people realize that for the most part, they, they, they can't always be happy and content all the time. People know this. They can't always be happy and content all the time because that's just a part of life, that it, there are ups and downs all the time. And in the same surveys, most people, believe it or not, most people, when it comes right down to it, would say that they're relatively happy, at least in this country, that as long as things like work, family, relationships are going pretty well, then they can be, or at least they ought to be, relatively happy or content. And so, if they have some of those things, the lack of anything else, then, really is not a big deal. People can admit, right, 
that if the fundamentals, if the basic necessities and the desires are fulfilled, it's easier, or it ought to be easier, to handle the disappointments and frustrations of less basic or more superficial desires. That if you have food and clothing and shelter and your loved ones are healthy, what more do you really need? But as much as people might admit this, the thing is, what history has shown us is that even after having or attaining all those so-called basic necessities of life that we know ought to make me in some way content, love, family, relationships, work, people throughout history, for the most part, are still not satisfied. That eventually, if not now, then later, we start to think, I have these things, but is there something more? Could there be more joy? Could there be more success? Could there be more pleasure? Could there be more purpose or, or more meaning? And so sociologists have been saying this all along. The implication is this. Human beings, we have this innate longing. This longing, a kind of longing that no perfect marriage, no awesome vacation, no amount of education can actually really satisfy, even the very best possible ones. That once you find these things and you're able to grasp it, whatever you think is going to make you content or satisfied, there's something about it once you get there that sort of fades. The spouse is good. The scenery is excellent. The job is great. You've got career, you've got romance, you've got family, but there's something deeper, deeper that goes even beyond success and even family. Isn't this why we know the song from U2 and Bono, and they sing the famous song, I've climbed the highest mountains, I've run through the fields, scaled city walls, kissed honey lips, spoke with tongues of angels, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So how do people respond then to this idea of contentment and satisfaction? How do we approach it? How do we pursue it? And I'm going to just give you two ways to kind of, uh, I guess, make it simple. Basically, people have approached it in two different ways. You have the old way and the new way, or what we could call the more traditional way of pursuing contentment, and now, most of us, the more modern way, okay? So they used to say the old way of pursuing satisfaction was this. They said to people, stop looking. Stop looking for more, because there isn't anything more. It's just the responsibilities in front of you. It's what you have right now. And if you have the basics, focus on that. Detach yourself from the idea that things are better, or there could be better, or there is more to be had, because the idea of complete satisfaction is an illusion. And we need to be thankful for what we have now. And so like most Eastern religions, and now even older Western thought, they would say, be happy with what you have. Learn to live with little. And the extreme version of this approach is asceticism, right? Learn to live with less. Learn to live with little. Be satisfied with, with the basics. The, the extreme version of this old way of approaching satisfaction is poverty. People examples would be like someone like Gandhi. You think someone like the Bodhisattva. Or in the Western idea, you think of monks, right? These people took this old way or this old approach. And some people look at Jesus and the disciples and said, they too, they too must look like this. They too must have this approach. Okay? That's the old way. 
Now, what's the problem with this? The problem is this, that even if you try and produce or pursue satisfaction by learning to live with less and less and be simple, you can't get rid of the idea that, you know, if I have food, shelter, and clothing, am I really living or am I just surviving? Can I really just be happy with that? This is the nagging question for people who pursue this, uh, this approach. And it's very difficult to do. German philosopher Martin Heidegger says this, animals are quite happy to survive. Human beings never are. And if you decide that all you want to do is just survive food, clothing, and shelter, and you don't try for more, and you don't try for more joy or more success or more meaning and purpose in life, you don't do this, you kill the part that makes you different from animals. You dehumanize yourself. That's what Heidegger would say. So this old approach has its problems, okay? So what's the other approach? The other approach, and we're more familiar with this, is the new way or the modern approach to contentment. And basically it goes like this. You have to figure out what you really want, and then you've got to find it. And you've got to pursue it with everything you have. And then once you find it, you've got to get all that you can, as much as you can. This way is completely the opposite of the old way. The old way say, we need to stop looking, just be satisfied with what you have, be happy with little. Now the new way says, no, find what you want, go for it, and get as much as you can. The opposite of this is asceticism. The modern way is hedonism, all right, in extreme forms. If you want affluence, if you think that's going to make you happy, Go for it. Pursue all you can. Get as much as you can. If you want, uh, I don't know, fame, do it. Look for it. Do everything you can to get it. If you want to be uh, more successful, you know, if you want to be higher up in the ranks, find it. Pursue with all your might and get as much as you can. Okay? But there's also a problem with this approach. A uh, Roman poet by the name of Horace, some people, are just, they're just born into like, great situations, and Horace was one of them. One of the brightest men, one of the greatest intellectuals. He was an artist. He was also born into wealth, I think. And he happened to have a friend, uh, good fortune to be friends with this guy who grew up together, and his friend became Caesar Augustus. <laughs> right? So his friend is the emperor of the world. He himself was not doing too bad. He was the, one of the world-renowned poets of the time, leading intellectual artist. He had wealth. He had friends in high places. He had a palace to live in. He had fame and fortune. And if you read Horace's writing, one of the things that he says is this. Horace says, quote, No one lives content. I've been to the top and nothing there. Sure, there are moments where we pursue and we find moments of satisfaction. There are moments of real happiness and even contentment. But the problem is it's only for a moment because those things, either they fade or they just don't last. And what happens when you approach life this way is that it becomes like an addiction. You know how addictions work. You take that first taste of drug, and it really gives your body what it wants, right? It feels great. But if you keep doing it and keep pursuing it, what happens is your body gets used to the situation, used to the drug, and you need more, and you need more, and more, and more, until you find yourself never really being satisfied but left empty. That's a drug addict. 
So the old way of pursuing contentment and the new way of pursuing contentment both have their pluses, but they also have their minuses. And I think what Paul is telling us here in our passage is this. You and I, we need a contentment. We need a kind of satisfaction that's deep enough, lasting enough, to get you through the ups and downs and the circumstances of life. And so when you come to this passage, and we looked at it already, Paul here is in prison, and he's just received from this guy Epaphroditus some support, physical means probably, from this church that he had actually started, and he gets it, right, Uh, the church in Philippi, and this is how he responds. He says there, I rejoiced when your gift came. I rejoiced so much when it came. And then he says, not that I needed it. Not that I needed it. Not that I am speaking out of my want. And then he says, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. What's Paul saying? Here's Paul, he's in prison. Minimal living, right? Most standards, probably by most standards, he had real needs. But he doesn't acknowledge any discontent. Even with very little, it didn't matter that he was a prisoner. That didn't take away his sense of contentment. It didn't matter that he lived with Roman soldiers uh, watching over him all the time. It didn't matter that he didn't get to choose what to eat every day, that he didn't get to eat a steak dinner once in a while, or that he wasn't sleeping in a five-star residence, or that he didn't always have hot water. It didn't really touch his sense of contentment. In other words, Paul had a contentment even with very little. And he says in verse 11, he rejoices. He's thankful, not that I'm in need. His contentment was not based on how little he had. Now, at this point, you're saying, okay, so Paul is the old way, right? Paul's the old way. He's the ascetic. He's like, live with less, live with less, and just be basic and live in poverty. He's the traditional way. But before we make that conclusion, listen to this. Because at this point, you might be hearing this and say, oh, the real Christian is the poor one. The real Christian is the one living in poverty. That's the real Christian. But then he says in verse 11, listen carefully. He says this, whatever circumstance I am, I've learned to be content. And verse 12, this is what he says. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. He says, I have learned what? The secret of facing not not just hunger. He says, the secret of facing plenty as well as hunger. Abundance as well as need. What's Paul saying here? I have learned the secret of what? Being poor? No. He says, of being hungry, but also being filled having abundance and suffering need or lack. He's saying this, I know how to have very, very little of daily sustenance, just the basic needs of life. But then he also says, I also know how to live in abundance, prosperity. That word abundance literally means overflow, overflow. He had times of great deprivation. He had times where he didn't have enough food to eat. He knew that. He experienced that. He knows what it's like. But then he closes in verse 12, and he says, but I also know what it's like to have steak. I also know what it's like to live in abundance. Here's my point. Paul's not a Buddhist, nor is he a monk. 
He's not promoting poverty or asceticism as a way to enlightenment. If you've got a little more today, you need to rejoice. If you've got a little extra, you need to praise God. You need to be more thankful because that's grace. And you might want to share a little once in a while. And at this point, you know, some of us, we were thinking, because probably this is most of us in the States, why can't I be rich and go to heaven? Why can't I be wealthy and, and go to heaven, too? Why can't I have my, my cake and eat it all, too? And I'm going to tell you this. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. But it's going to be hard. You know why in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? Right? See, there's a problem with trying to find contentment by living in poverty and just not living with anything. But there's also a problem in trying to find contentment in living in abundance. Now, I know that some of you might sound that weird, right? I mean, <clears throat> no one has ever come to me and complained. Oh, Pastor Francis, I don't know what to do. Uh, life's been so tough because I have too much Right? I'm stressed because I have too much money. No one's ever said that to me. No one's ever said, Pastor Francis, it's so hard to be rich. But Jesus says it's hard to be rich too. Here's why. First of all, let's, let's be clear. Rich can be relative. I don't know what you think rich is, but compared to Bill Gates, all of us are poor. Okay? Some less so, some more so. But compared to people living in third world cultures, all of us are rich. Okay? So we need to keep that perspective. But Jesus, I think, says if you pursue contentment this way, it will be difficult for a rich man. Why does he say that? Because however you want to qualify, quantify rich, when you feel rich, here's the problem you can easily mistake circumstantial contentment for gospel contentment. When you feel like you've got everything you have and need and more, you can easily mistake superficial, temporal contentment with a deep and more permanent kind of contentment. I'm not saying don't pursue it, but that's the problem. And when you confuse and mistake superficial, temporal contentment, as good as it is, with a more deeper and permanent kind of contentment or satisfaction, here's the problem you won't even start looking for Christian contentment. You don't sense your lack of, of real contentment because you feel like your present temporary good circumstances are good enough. That's the problem. Whether you think you're rich or whether you think you're poor or you're somewhere in between, I want you to know this. You are more likely to find real contentment when you realize your lack of real contentment. And relatively speaking, that's all of us here today, and we need to be careful, spiritually careful. Here's the point. Paul is not promoting poverty and trying to live with less, but neither is he condemning prosperity. What he's saying is, whether you're rich or poor, whether you think you have a lot or a little, Paul says in verse 11, in any and every circumstance, I found contentment. Whether rich or poor, whether hungry or full, what Paul is saying is that I'm the same. 
I'm the same. No matter what circumstance, whether I have a lot or a little, I'm the same. Why? Because the circumstances don't determine my ultimate joy. You know, I always tell my wife, um, honey, if I won the lottery, I would be so good with it. I would be so good with it. I would donate 20% to missions. I would donate another 20 to the church, and I would use the rest to take care of my parents and your parents and my family and my children. I would be so good with it. I would never, you know, take that. And, and, and this is what she said. She said, you would be the biggest jerk in the world. And she might be right. It will change me. It will change me. Living in poverty, living with less, that also affects you. It will change you. But living in abundance and having more and more, that could change you. It will change me. What Paul is saying is this, but the, my contentment, it doesn't come from having a lot or a little. I'm the same the word content here in the Greek means, literally it means this, self-sufficient. That's what he means. When Paul uses the word content, what he's saying is this, my contentment is self-sufficient. It means that it's independent, independent of my situation. So the second thing we learn about Paul's satisfaction, happiness, joy, contentment, whatever you want to say, is this, his contentment is not circumstantial. It's deeper it's more permanent. For Paul, contentment, true, lasting contentment is independent from his circumstances. This is important, I think, to learn. Because if you place your source of happiness and contentment in what you have or don't have, where you are in life or where you're not in life, if you place your source of contentment in your present circumstances, if that's your sense of contentment where you find peace, satisfaction, and it's only in your circumstance, only then the one thing that's going to steal away your contentment, steal away your happiness, is going to be bad circumstances. Bad circumstances. Take it away. And when that happens, you will crumble. Not only will you lose your sense of contentment and joy and satisfaction and peace, you will feel utterly destroyed. So where does Paul find his contentment if not in his circumstance? Earlier in chapter 4, in verse 13, he says this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He relies on the power of Christ. Paul is able to face all circumstances with contentment because of the fact that Jesus Christ died on a cross, rose again on the third day, and everything God has now belongs to him. In our passage today, he ends our passage in verse 19. He says, my God will supply every need of yours according to what? His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. His riches. Jesus is not poor. He says his riches. The only problem with that is his riches are not of this world. Martin Luther, a famous reformer, said this, quote, I have held many things in my hands and have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. End quote. Paul's secret 
to his contentment was that he learned that contentment was not to be found in his current situation or circumstance, whether he had a lot or little, comes and goes, but it was found in something more permanent, more unchanging, more eternal, that nothing and no one could take away. The riches in the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Knowing this strengthened him to be content. Verse 13. Paul is not calling people to be poor for the sake of being poor. But he's saying, even if you are in Christ, you are still rich. Paul's not saying it's a sin to have a lot in this world. But even if you do, whatever you have still pales in comparison to the riches of Jesus Christ. And I think this is the heart of contentment. Whether you struggle with having a little or whether you feel like you're abounding with plenty, in whatever situation, the contented Christian says, I have enough. I have enough. And Christ is sufficient. And this is where I struggle. This is where I struggle. My problem is not that I struggle with things I don't have. Having a little more is always good. My problem is not struggling with things that I do have. My, my real problem is really believing in the things that God says I have right now and then delighting in that. It's a shame, I'm going to say it, it's a shame for me to say that I believe in Jesus Christ, that he saved me and he loved me and he gave up everything for me, and yet I take more delight and joy in upgrading my cell phone, eating a buffet and wearing nicer clothes than I do in Jesus Christ. There is something off when I care more about the color of my hair and the clothes on my back and the approval and the acceptance of people than what God says is the blessings of the heavenly places given to me for free. I struggle with believing this, and this is why I'm discontent. It's a struggle of faith, and it's where I need to grow. But if I really understand Christian contentment, if I really understood what Paul is trying to tell us, then guess what? With, with regards to being in need, I could still rejoice. I'm not envious of the rich. I don't look down on, on, on the rich people and call them bougie and whatever because I am rich in Christ. And if I'm rich in this world, but I understand Christian contentment, I don't look down on the poor. But more than that, my grip on this wealth is not so tight. If I really understood, I think that's what would happen. You see, this is why Paul says he had to learn. He had to learn to be content. Paul didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, Jesus, I'm content. He had to learn it. it, it it's not easy. It's, it's hard. Contentment, biblical contentment, is not a mystery that you discover. It's a dynamic that, that he had to learn. It doesn't kick in automatically at conversion, but it's a process of learning to live like a Christian. And Paul says he had to learn it. He had to learn it through contentment. And that means this, because I know many of you are discontent, or many of you find this kind of contentment sort of elusive. If you've ever looked at your spouse and your marriage, and you don't tell your spouse this, but you think to yourself, Lord, this isn't where I want it to be, 
This is not what I was buying, thought I was buying into. This is not the dream that I thought my marriage was. You're in a position to learn. If you ever said to yourself, I hate, I hate what I'm doing in life, but it pays the bills, it puts clothes on my kids' back, it puts food in their mouths and, and gives us a place to live and makes good money, but I can't stand it, I'm miserable, I'm discontent with what I'm doing, you're in a place to learn. Your finances, the bills aren't adding up to the income, and month after month you feel like you're just slipping deeper and deeper and you're more and more dissatisfied, discontent with where you are. You're in a place to learn. Friends, I want you to understand, if that's where you are, if you're there, we are in a position to learn contentment. It's not the old way. Give up on finding contentment, live with little, because it doesn't exist. Be satisfied with little. No, it's not the old way. There is real contentment you could have right now. But neither it is the new or the modern way. Just pursue abundance for what you have right now. Pursue everything right now in this world because ultimately none of it will satisfy. Whether it's old way or new way, living with a little, living with a lot, neither way will find ultimate contentment as long as it deals only with the things here in this world. And here's the thing. What Paul is trying to say is this. There is something that will satisfy but it's not something you can find in the confines of this world. This is why we hear the famous quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. If I find myself longing for something this world cannot give, it probably means I was made for another world. Your contentment doesn't ultimately come from just things around you, the situation, as hard as it is. Your contentment ultimately needs to be found in him. And nothing can stop the contentment of God. And it's something we need to learn. Let me just end with this illustration. Do you know who um, Horatio Spafford is? Uh, He's a Christian. uh, Early 19th century, actually. uh, Rich guy. Successful. In Chicago. A successful lawyer. And the reason why he's so well off is because he had made good investments in property in the Chicago area during that time. Very successful. If you asked him, probably pretty happy. But what happened, and this is historical, you could look it up, there was a huge fire in Chicago called the Great Chicago Fire, damaged his invested property. He lost tons, tons. How do you prepare for a fire? But what's worse is, later on, the economy in Chicago had a downturn, and he was further hit. And it happened during a time where he planned a vacation with his family to England. So he didn't want to cancel his vacation with his family. He had a a, a wife and four daughters. He sends his family across the Atlantic on a cruise, and he says that he will meet them over after he takes care of business back home in Chicago. Right? So he sends them away, his wife and four daughters. What happens, and you can look it up, that boat where his family was on collides with another boat. All four of his daughters pass away. His wife, Anna, was able to send him a note, famous note, two words, saved alone. Spafford gets the news, leaves for England to meet his grieving wife, And as his boat passes near where the daughters died, he's inspired to write this song. 
when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's Horatio Spafford's song. 2023, on November 22nd, they're going to do a 150th anniversary of this song, a commemoration. I just want to throw that out there, but I'm sure we've all heard it. How do you prepare for that? How do you protect yourself from those things? Your contentment is non-circumstantial. If you're after God contentment, if you're after gospel contentment, you have to real, lasting, permanent contentment to get you through the ups and downs. The first thing we need to understand is not only that there's God's providence, but that our circumstances do not determine our contentment ultimately. We find it in Him. And I pray that God would increase your faith this year to find it more and more as you learn the secret of being content. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace, your patience, your mercy. Wherever we are in our relationship to you, we know that we have a Father who does care. We know also, Lord, that you are a very patient Father. We have many things to learn and grow, and we struggle with much. We are people who live by sight. We are people who look at our circumstances and then determine our future and our ends. We are people who easily forget that there may be something greater working in our life and in the world that as hard and as difficult or as upsetting and frustrating or even as joyful and wonderful as things can be in the world, we forget you're a God who not only suffered but was also resurrected, who has promised us blessing upon blessing, who promised to be with us in the downs as well as the ups, and who gives us something that our circumstances and the world will fail to provide ultimately, everlastingly. And that is the kind of contentment and joy we find in you. When we read about Apostle Paul, Lord, we think that's like a super Christian, that's like supernatural. And in some sense, Lord, it is supernatural. It doesn't come naturally to us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts and minds to not just see what we see with our eyes, but to ask the question, what are you doing in our life right now? Help us to trust in you. And we trust in you, Lord, because you've already given us evidence of your love for us when you gave us your son, Jesus Christ. You are worthy of our trust. So let us find and learn, Lord, what it means to find contentment in you. Even as we mourn, even as we struggle, even as we go through difficult moments of loss and pain and even suffering, we pray you would be our source of joy and contentment and we would cling to you by faith. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all rise.